0: On today's episode, I talk with Dr. Emily Edlin, a clinical psychologist, mom, and author of Autonomy Supportive Parenting. We talk about how to give our children more autonomy and how to let go as a parent in order to let your children thrive.
1: What we can do to increase agency is involve our kids in decision-making, collaborate with them around problem-solving. So it's showing them, that you see them as worthy of having a voice, an opinion, thoughts. It doesn't mean we go with the four-year-old's idea <laughs> necessarily. <laughs> right. It's a collaboration, yes. um, but it helps them feel like they're a person of value.
0: Hi, and welcome to The Parentologist Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kim. The Parentologist Podcast is a show about everything parenting with a therapeutic twist. Each episode focuses on a variety of relatable topics, including parenting family, children, relationships, mental health, and pop culture. Hear from a variety of medical professionals, psychological experts, authors, celebrities, and other parents with inspiring stories. You'll feel like you're in the same room with your friends, getting all of your questions answered. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll learn, and
1: you'll have fun.
0: Dr. Emily, thank you so much for being here today on the podcast.
1: I'm so happy to be here. Thank you.
0: I am too. This is a topic that I feel like comes up a lot and has come up a lot more often than not. So um, I, I introduced you already at the beginning of the um, introduction of my podcast, but for anyone just joining now, um, you just published a book in September. Congratulations. Not Thank too you. long ago. And the book is titled Autonomy, Supportive Parenting, Reduce Parental Burnout and Raise Competent, Confident Children. I love that. So let's start there. Let's start with how you define autonomy supportive parenting. How would you describe that to a parent just picking up your book for the first time?
1: Well, I do know it's a science-y mouthful, which I wish I could have come up with some like trendy, sexy term. But
0: (laughs) this is (laughs) as as, as someone in the psychology field myself, I love it. But yeah. In layman's terms, what does that actually mean?
1: (laughs) So the bullet. Point version is that this is a parenting approach that is nurturing a child's sense of agency in the world and sense of self. So, who they are and how they belong.
0: Exactly. I love that. And as I was reading just more on your book and visiting your Instagram and, you know, thinking of the questions I wanted to ask you today, you know, certain things popped up in my head. So, this is kind of the direction I wanted to go and let me know if this um, defines your book in a way, because I was thinking of my own childhood and, and then also as a parent myself and how I parent my children or how I want to parent my children. I think we all have an idea of how what we want to parent. But then, you know, things seep in from our past and how we were parented and, you know, different things from our culture and society that sometimes dictate how we parent sometimes. And I know when I was growing up, bless my mom's heart, I love her so much, But she was, quote unquote, no one can see my hand quotes, but I am doing them, one of those Mm helicopter-defined parents. Um, So someone who was around the whole time, someone who made a lot of my decisions for me, where I felt so inept as an adult that I couldn't make decisions on my own. I had to call my mom first. Uh, Anything Mm -hmm. that came up in college or in my early 20s, I felt like I didn't have enough confidence maybe mm-hmm. to make decisions on my own. So so does your book help parents from the get-go when we're parenting our young children not to do this so they don't turn out like me in their 20s who are very indecisive and can't make a decision to save their lives? Is that the premise of what you're trying to educate parents on through your book? You got
1: it. Oh, yes. You, okay. <laughs> yes. you said it better than I have in six months. <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, but that's great. That, but that's but that's helpful because I think sometimes we don't know how to set those boundaries and those limits yeah. with our children because you don't want to see your children mm-hmm. get hurt. Yep. So what do you do? You protect them. And how we know how to protect them from an innate type feeling, from my perspective, is we we do it for them if we see yep. them at the playground and they're about to fall we, we scoop them up and save them so they don't skin their knee or wow. you know hit their head and get a concussion i mean you know you think of the worst case scenarios a parent sometimes um, or if you feel like they're going to fail a test you know you may call yep. the teacher and say hey my child's sick today can they take the test on friday just so they have extra time to study or yep. whatever it is you're scooping in for you know so so what would you suggest would be maybe the first thing that a parent can do to see wow, am I really overcompensating? Mm-hmm. Am I doing too much? Am, am I, you know, fostering autonomy in my children? What are some kind of telltale signs that that we might be doing this and not even realizing it?
1: Well, and I think that is what's happening is it's become so ingrained in parenting culture to be so over-functioning for our kids that it's become the definition of good parenting. And We feel like if we're not parenting in that way, that we're actually being a quote-unquote bad parent. And this is where there's that's like a cultural myth. Absolutely. And I'm here to hopefully (laughs) inject the reality, which is what you're describing. We're setting up kids who, when they become young adults, they are not prepared with the confidence and skills to lead an independent life. And deeper than that, really know who they are because going through those really stressful periods and challenges in life, whether it's a difficult teacher or a friendship that becomes like a betrayal, you know, there are these tough life lessons, right? right. And if we are doing too much for our kids to protect them by swooping in, I can't tell you how many. Times I've heard about parents texting other parents about friendship problems between two tweens who need to be able to talk it out and figure it out themselves. So the more we're doing that, we are robbing our kids of developing their own confidence that they can handle it, that they've got it. And yes, they need coaching and they need, you know, skill development and a 10 year old is not going to have the same capacity as an 18 year old. But we need to really see where our kids' skills are first. So in terms of a tip, like really tune in what is my child capable of and what am I doing for them that they can do themselves? And then how can I back off? And it's going to involve feeling uncomfortable. We're going to feel uncomfortable. They're going to feel uncomfortable. And we've got to be able to sit with it in service of the bigger picture. That's hard. It's really hard. That is really hard. And there are gifts along the way. So it's not like you're trudging through being uncomfortable for 18 years and then (laughs) then you have this fully formed adult. No, there are ways that when you back off and you see your child do something that maybe neither of you thought they could do on their own, there's such a sense of pride and joy. And I would love to share a quick story that uh, I'm living what I preach all the time. Okay, just so everyone knows, (laughs) I love that because that's hard to do. It's It's very,
0: I'm really good at like giving advice to parents, but sometimes I don't always take my own advice, and I kick myself in the foot because I'm like, oh, I should have just done what I tell other parents, and it would have been so much easier for me. I mean, but I love to hear your story. I would.
1: We're all human, and I, I mean, writing this book has helped me be more aware and intentional and I ask myself what would I tell another parent in this situation. So there was a, a soccer tournament my 9-year-old is in club soccer. Okay. And so it's his first year and it's more competitive than he's been in and he is he's my youngest so he's my little baby. I'm very protective like emotionally of him. Absolutely. Uh, and so he was in the soccer tournament And we had some back-to-back games, and there was a game where he almost didn't play. And I was on the sidelines, like, sitting on my hands, you know, just wondering, what is going on? Why isn't he playing, feeling like I should talk to the coach, right? Like, I wanted to get involved and intervene. Right. And make it right. Like how do we get him on the field? It's our gut, our
0: maternal gut instinct to do that, right? Like it's easier to do that than to step back. So just normalizing that for other moms listening out there right now.
1: (laughs) Yes. It would have been easier. It was actually took more energy and effort for me to pull back. Right. So we had a little time in between games and we it was around Halloween. So we went home and we carved pumpkins and I bit my tongue. I, I said to him I'm happy to talk about it. Only if you want to. And I'm here for you. But if you don't want to, that's fine too. So he had agency in that interaction. And he didn't bring
0: it up. Inside in your head, please talk to me. Please
1: talk to me. I know. (laughs) I'm here. I'm ready. I'm ready. Right. (laughs) So he didn't mention it. And in my head, I'm thinking, but I have so much great advice. Like I
0: Right, exactly. (laughs) Really
1: help him through this and make it right. And I didn't talk to the coach. I just stood back. So we got to the second game, sat on the sidelines, and I watched him come out on that field to warm up. And I was like, he has a fire. I mean, he got out there with something to prove. Wow. And so I didn't have to say anything. You know what? He did it his way. He didn't have to talk it through. He could show up and play in a way to show that he was worth putting on the field. And he played almost the whole game and it was their championship and they won and they won the tournament and he felt a part of it. And it was so exciting. And if I had intervened, that would have robbed him of that pride because it wasn't him rebounding. And it would have been me making sure he rebounded, right? Exactly. If I had talked to the coach and he didn't even know I talked to the coach, I would have known. And I would have always thought, well, he put him in because I talked to him instead of he earned his way on the field.
0: Or he could have felt betrayed mm-hmm. if he found out you talked to the coach and the only reason he went is because you yes. complained about it and then he would feel betrayed or embarrassed. You know, There, there could be other ramifications of that too, right? Yep. <clears throat> right. Well, thank you for sharing that. I I have a million stories swirling through my head right now of things that I feel like I could share. And I'm sure every parent listening right now probably has, you know, experiences too of, of that happening. You know, like I said, we try to protect our kids and that's kind of our, our, our just go to, that's just kind of what we instinctually do. Um, but my daughter who just turned 10 recently, I've been very cognizant to try not to do that. Cause I feel like the more my mom intervened, sometimes she kind of messed it up more. Right. Yep. Like it wouldn't have been such a big deal. I wouldn't have lost maybe friendships or had mm-hmm. to, move to school because, you know, cause she stirred so much up. That if she just would have let it go and just maybe said take care of it on your own or I'm here to support you if you need it but try this first or whatever or even just talked out some role plays with me right just said okay well what could you say to your coach or what could you say to your friend if something happens let's pretend I'm your friend and let's talk about it as and then how how might they respond and you know you can go through that where your child can come up with a uh an answer on their own for instance i'll share a quick story too my my daughter who's in 4th grade now and a little boy last week a lot of, a lot of the boys were doing it it was kind of like a group thing um asked her to be his valentine <laughs> which was very sweet you know he's a very nice boy and all but she has one of those smart watches that she you know can text me and call on so i get a call i'm sorry i got a text at lunchtime at her lunchtime and it said so and so just asked me to be his valentine what do i say Right. And, you know, where I could just swoop in and say, well, you're too young to have a Valentine or, you know, tell him no or who knows? I could have answered in a million different ways. And I thought about it for a moment. And I think I... I, I think I did give advice at first because I felt pressure because she was on. She her asked you statement. directly. Right. Yeah. And I felt like, okay, I need to give her some kind of response. I need to, you know, act like I'm a competent parent and, so, and everything, right? So I think I gave her some kind of response and I didn't hear back for a minute. And then I think I at the ne- I didn't hear back. So I said, what do you want to do with a question mark? And her next text came through. Well, this is what I told him. And she already had come up with her own yeah like answer to him. And I, at first I was like, did she even read my my advice? Because it was not what I told her to say, right? And I was thinking, did she even read what I, my text? And it was all happening so quickly. And, you know, she ultimately said, I'll be your Valentine, but I really just want to go as friends or I just want to be friends, you know, um, type thing. And they kind of just left it at
1: that. And I was so proud of her response. And I thought, wow, that was better than what I was right? going to say. That's, that's what I've learned. I mean, our kids, we, they... Know more and do better than yeah. we give them credit for. I absolutely. mean absolutely and I think it's fair, like we underestimate because we've known them since they were tiny infants, relying on us for everything, right? Yeah. And it can be hard to shift gears as they're growing up that they do need us less and less. And I do think phones and smartwatches have complicated things. Yes. Because we are at their beck and call in many ways. And I've actually, one thing I do very intentionally is I don't respond right away. Not that I never respond, but who knows what I'm doing. But even if I could in that second, if it's a situation like that where they're like, I don't know what to do, I let it sit. Yeah, And then I'll come back and say, did you figure it out? Mm -hmm. 90% of the time they have. Absolutely, and I think even before they come to
0: us, sometimes they already have an idea in their head of Mm -hmm. how they want to respond or what they want to say. And I've I've done better at that. I have um, because. I think when they were little, it was more about them getting hurt physically that always yep. made me swoop in. That was my biggest thing when they were toddlers, especially with my son. He was one of those kids that just jumped off the couch all the time and was a monkey at the park, and it scared me to death. Like I, yeah. I there was times I, I joked. I don't. It's not really a joke at all, but I said I would joke to their parents, like I'm just glad I kept him alive today. Like to me, that was like a big parenting win, right? That he yeah. didn't have to go to the hospital or anything. And um, so that was my that that was hard for me, especially when they were younger, is to fall down and get hurt and in. That, that that's okay. Cause that's hard for me, but the social aspect, because I was so say traumatized yes, by what my our own. to me, right. Yes. Yeah. That anytime a thing came up with a friend or with a teacher, I would tell her my daughter, especially my son, not yet. He's still pretty little, but you know He hasn't really gotten to that point of advocating for himself yet, although I have asked him to in the past and he hasn't mm-hmm. really done it, but I've tried to, like you said, give him that agency to do so. But with my daughter, I mean, I had a parent texting me about their friendship and why, why isn't your daughter as much friends with my daughter anymore? And I just said, I really just said to that parent, and I knew her very well, mm-hmm. very, very nice mm-hmm. woman and great parent. But I said, let's just let them figure it out. Yeah. Let's just let them. And now they're great friends, and they worked it out, right. and it's fine. Right. But I, I really try. Like anytime something like that happens, I, because of my past, I purposely like back up real far <laughs> before yeah. I intervene, like you said. But it's also hard, and yeah, it's something you have to be very mindful of. Um. So how can we give our children more autonomy and independence? What would that look like besides taking a step back and letting letting them know that we're there for support but right. what does that look like because when you were talking to me about it you know we think about intervening with social aspects teachers grades you know getting mm-hmm. hurt if we find them in a in a physical danger type situation but what i was thinking too is also having them learn life skills like how to clean a dish you know how to make yes, dinner please. how to do their own laundry right. so what are some ways that we can you know give our children some of that more autonomy um, you know, as as they're growing older, what does that look like?
1: So I will say in my book, I actually cover from toddlers and early childhood through adolescence. Oh, great. So okay. each chapter, I have really specific examples depending on the area of life. So I have home life and social life and school life, and more. But within those, there are actually scripts and um, specific ways of responding that are either autonomy supportive or controlling. And so it's a nice kind of applied, oh, yeah, I would totally say that. And that's a controlling response or, oh, that's a good idea. (laughs) But one of the themes is besides expecting more independent behaviors, like we've been talking about and kind of being more coaches on the sidelines instead of cruise directors, um, what we can do to increase agency is involve our kids in decision making collaborate with them around problem solving so it's showing them that you see them as worthy of having a voice an opinion thoughts it doesn't mean we go with the 4-year-old's idea <laughs> necessarily <laughs> right. it's a collaboration yes. um but it helps them feel like they're a person of value. Right. And I have to say, that is one thing
0: that I argue with my husband about a lot. Mm-hmm. I come from your perspective. I mm-hmm. come from that, obviously, have a play therapy background where we honor children, we honor their emotions and their feelings and their perspectives and they where they have a voice, where they're seen and where they're heard. So that's that's my camp. That's how I was raised in my therapeutic perspective. Um, And even though my husband is in the psychology field, he's a clinical psychologist. um, He doesn't work with children, you know, but he's a great dad. Um, But this comes up a lot where Mm -hmm. all of a sudden I'll have, you know, my kids kind of speak up and and say, Mm -hmm. you know, their opinion on something or whatever. And he'll kind of shut it down and say, well, you're just 10 or you're just this. And it makes me cringe so hard because I'm like, no, you know, it's like, we're the adults and we make the decisions and this and that. And I think it's more because of the way he was raised or yes. his, his maybe need for control to like, you know, have as a parent, like I demand control and respect. And, you know, I think that you said comes from like a cultural, mm-hmm. you know, perspective that he grew up on. Um, so that's hard. So yeah, from from a parent to parent perspective, I don't know if you cover this in your book or not, or if you just want to, you know, take a stab at answering this question, you know, I don't know if there is an actual answer to it. What would you share with parents that come from different perspectives on that? Or how do you get parents on the same page when maybe one is like a controlling parent and one is a parent that, you know, strives to have more autonomy? How, how can they meet in the middle somewhere? Or is that even possible? I don't know.
1: I'd like to think it's possible. Um, I will say, and not to be overly gendered about this, I'm very sensitive to that. I have gotten a lot of that feedback from fathers mm, specifically. That it's important to maintain authority. Yes. And some of the sounds like it could threaten that. I would argue it doesn't, that there's, we maintain a hierarchy Mm -hmm. um, because we do have better developed brains. That's it. Like we have more life experience and are fully developed prefrontal cortex, right? Right. So, yes, we are in the position of authority. However, I would ask what kind of relationship do you want with your kids? Mm. And what can happen especially in adolescence is when kids who feel like they haven't had a voice or can't speak up and express their opinions, they start to shut down more. They're more likely to lie, sneak around, rebel, and actually get into more trouble. So I think it's taking a step back and asking, well, what do you want for your child and your relationship in the big picture? And realizing that interacting with them in this autonomy supportive way is actually going to get them there.
0: Wow. I said to think about that and just ponder on that for a minute. That's that's pretty that's pretty deep, you know? Cause like I said, there's certain ramifications that you think about, you know, the indecisiveness, you know, the not feeling that they can have any control over their lives when they when they grow up. Um, but it's that 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 just you know puts a whole nother perspective on it. So let me ask you this then. So in in the in the mindset of being an autonomous parent, how do we also set boundaries? Because I feel like that comes up a lot. It's like, oh, we're just going to let my, my child, you know, decide yeah. everything or do everything. And I'm no. just supposed to sit back and let it ride. <laughs> and, you know, so where do we, where do we come in or where do we set those limits and boundaries and how do we go about doing that?
1: I wrote a piece for my Substack called, I think it, I can't remember the exact title. It's like autonomy is not a free for all. Okay. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So that can be a misconception that autonomy means I could do whatever I want. I do what I want. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. The kids so, like that. They want to do
0: that sometimes. Of course. You know, and sometimes, sometimes it's nice to let go a little bit, but come yeah. on. Yeah.
1: So I always say that obviously kids need structure and limits to thrive and we are their containers and they can like bounce around within that container and explore and experiment with it parameters for their safety. Right. So, I have a continuum um, from of structure and freedom, and so I talk about how there's on one side permissive parenting, which is that's what I think people are confusing autonomy with is this low limits high freedom, right? right. Kids can do what they want, and there aren't a lot of expectations or limits. But then there's the controlling parenting which is high limits, low freedom. So a lot of rules, a lot of expectations, but not a lot of space to explore and experiment and figure out who they are. Right. And how to act in the world. And in the middle is autonomy supportive. So it's this blend of freedom and structure. And it really does depend on the child. So that's the other just truth bomb of all this. There's no, you know, this is the one way to do it. You this is why it's a framework and it's flexible, is you're figuring out for this kid.
0: Yes. I always say kids are not cookie cutters. Like they're not all the same. And one piece of parenting advice might work for, you know, five million kids, but the other five million it may not work for. And you know, there's something else for them, you know? So it's very true.
1: Well and the Okay, two of the hallmarks of autonomy-supportive parenting in terms of there's kind of a set of 10 strategies that the research has covered, but where it all starts is using a lot of empathy and perspective-taking, and that is in service of really understanding how your kid ticks and what they need from you. And so that's where you're going to be able to get their sort of freedom and structure formula. like I, my oldest, man, she, <laughs> she, she's 14 oh. uh, and she's the oldest. And so she has always had a really strong drive for freedom. Right. And because she's our oldest, we've had more limits with her and it has not worked. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When we have let go and seen what happens and trusted her, she has flourished. Wow. Now. If we let go, trusted, and she floundered, then we back up and reevaluate, right? So I think it's also giving ourselves permission to do our own experimenting, that if we're constantly having fights over screen time, how can we collaborate on that and maybe come up with a new approach together, have a pilot period, and see how it goes? And when kids feel trusted... (laughs) they tend to do better.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I see that too. Yeah, I love that. So, what do we do when you you mentioned this if, you know, they we give them that trust, we give them that autonomy and they flounder, what do we do when it's so obvious to us? that they are gonna fail that test they are gonna fall off that monkey bars and they're gonna get hurt physically um, They are gonna get you know dumped by their boyfriend and their heart's gonna break or whatever the case is when you know it's inevitable and it's going to happen because you're literally witnessing it and what what do we do? Do we really just let it happen because I'm a big believer in kids need to fail to yeah. succeed. Or to just be comfortable with failure, you know, perfectionism is a myth, right? So I feel like you know kids do need to learn that skill to survive in their lifetime. But when it's so obvious, especially when it's physical, and you're like, I don't want to go to the hospital today, you know, know. me that's the biggest (laughs) biggest hurdle for me to get over. And I don't know if anyone else feels that way because I'm okay if my kid didn't study and and fails their test. To me, that's a natural consequence, and that is what happens. But when you feel like you could you could swoop in and be there to catch them so they don't physically get hurt. And maybe I'm talking more about the toddlers and the younger yeah. kids that, you know, what do you suggest for that? Because to me, that's personally my biggest hurdle that I have trouble letting go with the most more than anything else. But do you address that in your book as far as those physical things? I mean, do you just let them fall and get hurt? I mean,
1: I guess that's okay as long as it's, you know, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I think they again, like everyone has their own comfort level. But I think in general, what I talk about in my book is to really do an internal check on is this fear based rooted in anxiety? How much evidence is there that this bad thing will happen? And so for someone for a kid on the monkey bars, usually these days, the playgrounds are pretty padded. And if they fall, they actually really don't hurt themselves. Right. And so I think it's doing a reality check with ourselves of my fear is serious injury. What is the likelihood of that happening in this situation? And my former life, I worked in children's hospitals. I saw the worst of the worst. So I could definitely have approached parenting expecting a head injury every two seconds. But it actually helped me step back and realize I can't do that because then they won't explore and i feel like the other thing they learn is bodily awareness you know how their body fits in the, in space and where their limits are and getting a skinned knee is better than a broken bone you know so if they and it is kind of a metaphor for other yeah. times of harm right yeah absolutely Absolutely. It's just, you know, it's it's hard. So I think it's going
0: to be hard with a lot of parents, but I think it's very eye-opening and I think it's obviously very beneficial to take a step back. And And I, I think you've hit the nail on the head and I know this is a podcast for another time and, you know, I want to focus on your book and autonomy parenting, but I think just uh, anxiety and mm-hmm. fear-based parenting, you know, is so prevalent. And I think that anxiety and like you said, that the parents have the anxiety and that fear-based response... Um, and then that gets passed down to the child. And then yes. the child is going to have anxiety about, oh, I'm not going to ride my bike today because I'm afraid I'm going to get hurt or I'm yes. not going to do this because, you know, and then like I said, that halters them living their life too. Yes. And yeah. so that's that's hard. And like I said, that's a whole other topic that we could probably spend another 30 minutes talking about just that alone. Um, but let's focus on your book. Where can people find it? And where can people find you for more information um, on this type of parenting, which I love? Sure.
1: Sure. Thank you. So I, my book can be found, Amazon bookshop, target.com. I mean, anywhere you can order books, I think it should be there Awesome. <laughs> in your local bookstore. Sometimes it is. And then, uh, I am at Dr. Emily Edlin on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, sometimes Twitter slash X. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I also have a sub stack. The Art and Science of Mom. And in that newsletter, I get into kind of the the challenges of modern parenting and how to do autonomy supportive parenting in real life. And then I also have a website, emilyedlinphd.com. I love it. Well, thank you, Dr. Emily, for being here today and sharing your
0: wisdom. And congratulations on the book again. I hope everyone goes out right now or goes online or Target pickup, Amazon, you name it, um, to get your book because it's full of wisdom and it's full of advice and really practical advice that I think the modern parent can use these days. So thank you for all of that.
1: Thank you. Thank
0: you for joining me today. I cannot wait for you to listen to more episodes. If you are a new listener, I recommend starting at my best of year one episode first, then make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a thing. And when you love an episode, please leave a review. And if you want to stay connected between episodes, please visit me on social media at The Parentologist and on my blog at theparentologist.com. This podcast is not intended to be a replacement for therapy. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please call 911.